today from the Global Lane, praying for the persecuted church and the crucial role Christians play in the Iranian uprising. Christians in Iran are using these protests as an opportunity to minister. Christians are providing medical care to the protesters who are injured. President Biden remains positive about the U.S. economy. Are better days ahead for American pocketbooks? I think that we still have reasons to adopt a wait-and-see approach to see whether we're actually going to have the wind at our backs for the next couple of quarters. And why a growing number of minority voters are switching political parties. The reality is we're being hit in the face with with crazy inflation. You can't continue to just go all in based on party and tradition. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Sunday, November 6th is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So which suffering Christians are in the greatest need of prayer? And how should we pray? Well, joining us is Voice of the Martyrs radio host, Todd Nettleton. Todd, it's good to talk with you again. IDOP Sunday is upon us this year uh, like it is every year. And last year, the United States had just exited from Afghanistan. Christians there were in need of help and prayer at that time. Little has changed for them. But with the ongoing protests in Iran, it seems like there's also concern for Christians there right now. What are they up against? Well, the, the Christians in Iran are using these protests as an opportunity to minister. And uh, one of the amazing things, there are Christians out among the protesters. And remember, as these people are marching against their government, their government is Islam. It's the mullahs who are in charge of the country. And so they're not just saying we don't like our government. They're saying we don't like Islam. And so Christians are using this as an opportunity to say, hey, you don't like Islam. Let us tell you about another opportunity. Let us tell you about Jesus Christ. The other thing that I've heard just in the last few days that is happening is Christians are providing medical care to the protesters who are injured. If you go into the hospital in Iran right now with an injury, they're going to ask you, did you get this at a protest? If you did, you're going to get arrested. And so Christians are providing medical care outside of the hospital to protesters who don't want to get arrested for being at the protest and being injured. Um, so they are finding very practical, very real ways to speak to the needs and speak to the hearts of Iran's people during these protests to further the gospel. Wow, that's that's quite a witness, isn't it, uh, at this time, a time when uh, things are very unstable in Iran. And this year, VOM is highlighting the plight of Christians in Nigeria. They're in desperate need of help and prayer. It seems like we're not hearing much these days about kidnappings and persecution from Boko Haram, like we did several years ago. But I know persecution there is continuing for Christians. How bad is it? It is bad. And I think one of the sad things is, is these kind of attacks and kidnappings have become so commonplace that they don't even make the news anymore. It's just like, oh, yeah, another kidnapping in Nigeria, another attack on a church in northern Nigeria. Our Christian brothers and sisters there are suffering. They are in danger. And yet, again, as we talked about in Iran, they are standing boldly for Christ. They are choosing to witness, even knowing that it's risky. That's part of the reason we're highlighting Nigeria this year for the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And we're going to show a, a bit of your video uh, on Rebecca uh, later in this program. But which other countries are of greatest concern right now? One's, Todd, that may cause you to lose sleep at night. You know, one of the countries that, that I think has been in the news in the last few days is China, with uh, Xi Jinping being given a third term. 
We know what has happened during his first two terms to Christians, to churches, even registered churches in China. So thinking about five more years of him being in charge and probably more than five years of him being in charge, that's bad news for religious freedom. It's bad news for our brothers and sisters in China. The other country that I would raise, and it's probably not on a lot of people's radar, is Eritrea. Uh, I think often of our brothers and sisters in Eritrea, I had the chance to visit them uh, many years ago now, but there are more than 100 Christians currently in prison in the nation of Eritrea, a nation probably a lot of us don't even know where it's at on the map. And none of those Christians has had a trial. None of them has even been formally charged with a crime. They've just been arrested. They disappear into the prison system, often held in underground cells, often held in metal shipping containers, terrible conditions in those prisons. That's a country that I would love for people to pray for this weekend on the International Day of Prayer. Well, we don't hear a lot about it. I mean, uh, there's more attention on Iran, Nigeria, Pakistan, China, so forth. But uh, also India, I know there's a big problem there, right? There is. Uh, the, the government of Prime Minister Modi has made it really kind of open season on Christians in India. And uh, those who attack pastors, those who attack churches, they know they're unlikely to pay any penalty for that. They're unlikely to be charged with a crime. In fact, what often happens is the police will come to an attack and they will arrest the pastor. They'll say, hey, you're a troublemaker. You're trying to convert people. That's against the law. We're going to arrest you instead of arresting the people who have just been beating that pastor. That's reality for our brothers and sisters in India. And quickly, Todd, how should we pray? What should we pray? You know, I think praying for a sense of encouragement for our brothers and sisters, praying for God's kingdom to advance in their countries. And I think as Jesus called us, we also need to remember to pray for the persecutors, pray that they will have an encounter with Christ and come to know him in a very real way. Todd, it's always good to talk with, with you. Where can we hear your radio program, the weekly VOM radio broadcast? You can find a station close to you or links to the podcast at vomradio.net. You can also get there from our main website, persecution.com. Okay, Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, thank you. May God continue to bless your efforts. Thanks so much, Gary. Has the faltering U.S. economy turned the corner or is a recession still looming? Well, after six months of contraction, the nation's gross domestic product, the gauge of goods and services, rose at an annual rate of 2.6 percent in the third quarter. With only days to go before the midterm election, this is how President Biden responded. Great economic report today, the GDP report. Things are looking good. And Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she doesn't see signs of a recession. We have unemployment at a 50-year low. There are two job vacancies for every um, American who's looking for work. Here to weigh in is Young Voices commentator, associate professor of economics at Texas Tech University, Alexander Salter. Alexander, it's good uh, having you with us again. So what do you make of this, the latest GDP numbers and then President Biden and Secretary Yellen in their comments? I have to admit that I was surprised by the latest figure. Everybody was expecting it to be slightly negative, and then it turned out to be 
significantly higher than we were all anticipating in terms of actual economic expansion. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that the Biden administration is trying to make political hay out of this. They're obviously in a pretty deep hole and they need all the good news that we can get. And while the numbers are encouraging, I wouldn't be so quick to assume that everything is fine with the U.S. economy. I think that we still have reason to adopt a wait-and-see approach to see whether we're actually going to have the wind at our backs for the next couple of quarters. Yeah, it's a little tough when the Fed keeps increasing interest rates. The average rate for someone with excellent credit seeking a mortgage uh, right now, a 30-year mortgage, is about 7.2%. So what do you expect is going to happen to the housing market? Interest rates are going up, although I would say that once you factor in inflation, not exorbitantly so. I think that the Federal Reserve Fed, if anything, has moved too slow in terms of contracting monetary policy. But there's no doubt that at least right now, we're observing mortgage rates that we haven't seen in a very long time. All else being equal, you would expect higher rates to put a damper on the mortgage market. But then again, you also have to pay attention to what's happening with supply and demand at the same time. I think that most commentators are anticipating that perhaps new builds and new sales are going to cool off. And I think that that's where the smart money is. But again, these things can change very quickly. Alexander, the president uh, proposed a down payment toward Equity Act. Uh, he says that would give first-time buyers a $25,000 grant to help with mortgage down payment or closing costs. And are we about to repeat history here with another housing crash where mortgages were given to people who really couldn't afford them? Your thoughts about that? Well, speaking of supply and demand, if that program were implemented, the demand for mortgages would certainly rise. You would expect that to lead to a higher price of mortgage. But then again, since the instrument is going up in price, you would actually expect the mortgage rate to rise as well. And so because of that, you would actually see a larger mortgage rate, but at the same time, you would also see more mortgages. So interestingly, price and quantity would move in the same direction in that case. But I also would be worried about the ultimate unsustainability of these sorts of packages. The question is, would that sort of a plan push people into taking on debt that is ultimately fundamentally unsustainable? I think that that's an open question. And in all other sectors, the U.S. economy does appear to be, quite frankly, addicted to debt. And I don't think that we have any strong reason to suppose that a federal program like that would get us off that debt addiction. Yes, we saw that happen before, didn't we? And of course, inflation is on voters' minds as Americans vote in the midterm elections. So do you see inflation cooling anytime soon? How do you expect that will affect the election results? What I'm worried about is the broadening of core inflation. Previously, you could still stick your head in the sand and say that this is really just due to volatile food and energy prices. But what we've seen with the last couple of price index releases is that inflation is really broad-based. It's affecting all the major sectors of the economy. This is not a just one or two industry phenomenon. Price pressures are everywhere, and I don't think that we're going to return to the historical target of 2% inflation anytime soon. In terms of the politics of it, voters have clearly listed the economy and inflation as their number one issue. So obviously that's going to go quite badly for the incumbent party, for the party currently in power, expect Republicans to surge and capitalize on it. Yeah, pocketbook, pocketbook, pocketbook. People vote pocketbook issues. And I'm going to put you on the spot here, Alexander. What's your prediction for the end of this year and, say, the first quarter of 2023? Are we heading toward a recession? Will a strong Christmas buying season delay it? Or do you believe, as the president and Yellen suggest, that things are looking good for the U.S. economy? I don't think that things are looking good for the U.S. economy, but neither do I anticipate that we're going to see any major contraction. I think that based on what we've observed, based on recent trends, 
in particular, the piling up of increasing federal rules that make production and distribution harder, the increasing fiscal burden, increasing inflation, all of these things make the economy less efficient and less productive. So I would actually expect a little bit of sclerosis to continue. I would expect something between something close to zero growth on approximation. Perhaps you might get a slight expansion as some of the sectors continue to bounce back a little bit. So while we're not in nightmare territory, there's really no reason to put up with continuing economic sclerosis. The American economy is at root dynamic. We can and must do better. And ultimately doing better is going to be a matter of getting counterproductive regulations and rules out of the way and unleashing the dynamism of the American economy. Okay, we'll see what happens in a few days. Young Voices commentator, Associate Professor of Economics at Texas Tech University, Alexander Salter. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you. Long-term political realignment or just anxiety over inflation and the economy. Some polls are showing more people of color voting for Republicans this election cycle. With control of Congress at stake, the votes of blacks, Hispanics, and Asians may make a big difference in a number of close Senate races in states like Pennsylvania and Georgia. Here to set us straight is the president of Every Black Life Matters and chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, Kevin McGarry. Mr. McGarry is author of the new book, Woked Up, finally putting an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. Kevin, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I, I want to discuss your book in a moment, but first, in a few days, we'll know if Americans have voted to turn away from a leftward shift in our politics and culture. You're a keynote speaker and activist. So what are you hearing from many people of color? I'm assuming their concerns are similar to those of most Americans. Just how concerned are they about things like woke culture, crime, education? Yeah, I think the uh, thank you for having me. First of all, Gary, I really appreciate being here again. And uh, listen, I think that we we are in for a true red tsunami. I think that there are a number of ethnic communities, especially Hispanic community. I think the black community is also coming along here. Uh, so the reality is, is we're being hit in the face with with r crazy inflation. Now I'm in California, so I mean, seven dollar a, a gallon gas is that's a real reality check that. You know, that's going to hit you. And uh, the other thing is, is we have rampant crime all across the country. Uh, and we have other, you know, rising inflation in all other segments, including food, gas, uh, you know, home energy and that kind of thing. So all of that is going to play a big impact, I think, on the black vote. I mean, you know, there are some segments that are still traditionally going with the leftist progressive theme. But the reality is, I think that most uh, African-Americans are going to be voting based upon their pocketbook, based upon, uh, you know, what what the reality of their day to day life. And I think it's been so atrocious that you can't continue to just go all in based on party and tradition. You know, last week we talked to pollster George Barna and he said race tops the list of issues of concern for most black Americans this election season. So why do you believe race is their top issue? How might that affect the way they vote? Well, I, I hadn't seen that. <laughs> that That is quite uh, troubling, actually. Uh, I, you know, but here's here's what happens, right? So uh, a lot of a lot of people don't want to talk about it. The, the, the way the game is played, all right, politically, is that, um, you know, we have certain segments of our society, like the black community, for instance, that still remembers We've heard the stories. We still remember uh, what happened with Jim Crow and slavery and all of that. And, you know, a lot of us are, are still bitter and aggrieved about those types of things. So what happens is 
you have your leftist progressive, you know, kind of parties that love to just pull the levers of aggrievement and agitate these communities right before an election. I know in your new book you write that observing the word, all actions and interactions through the prism of race uh, is a problem. Uh, tell us a little more about that, what you came up with in your book. Yeah, so what, so so my new book, Woke Up, uh, finally putting an ax to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America, uh, really looked at the issue of race, looked at, you know, where, well, okay, who, how did all this really, really start? So I looked at, uh, first of all, I wanted to look at, since we know that the woke movement is built on a the roots of Marxism, wanted to look at Marx, but I felt divinely inspired inspired to look at Marx's mentor, Marx and, Entour, uh, Marx and Engels, their mentor, which was Carl, Charles Robert Darwin. When you look at Darwin's work, you look at the, his first book on natural selection. One of the subtitles is For the Preservation of Most, most Favored Races. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And then you look at his second book, The Descent of Man, where Darwin goes all in and says, look, you know, we have to preserve, we have to protect the pure white intellect, basically the European Caucasian intellect and resourcefulness compared to every single other ethnicity, because we are supreme, fundamentally, is what he was saying. And then at the same time, he pointed to blacks and said, look, you know, they're still trying to climb the evolutionary scale, my, you know, his theory of evolution. He says they're still subhuman gorillas, apes, and savages. So when you look at that and you look at Darwinism spread throughout K through 12, uh, K through 16, honestly, um, then you see, hey, this is this is really the taproot of what a lot of our supremacist ideals have come from. Uh, a lot of those who, who hold to Darwinism and then Marxism, which Marx took everything Darwin had and then put the, uh, the pedal to the metal on all of those uh, theories. Let's see if we can move forward in a more positive way. Let's stop embracing this craziness and start doing something that's 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 uh, that's going to unify us. Okay, we'll see if there's a rejection of wokeism, and your book is Woked Up, finally putting Woke an axe to the taproot of white supremacy and racism in America. Kevin McGarry, thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it. All right, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. As we mentioned earlier, Sunday, November 6th, is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. This year, The Voice of the Martyrs is featuring the story of Rebecca from Nigeria. It's available on YouTube, and we wanted to share a portion of this compelling story with you. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening, I was out with my daughter, and on our way home, we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together, every day. Mama? 
And when our children were old enough, we read it to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. The word and love of the Lord is forever. Our suffering brothers and sisters around the world are in desperate need of his word. The first request of many is Bibles and then prayer and other help. So let's remember to pray for Christian suffering in restricted nations and areas hostile to the gospel and keep praying for them, not only on IDOP Sunday, but every day. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channel, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.